0: There are two types of people in this world. There are those who love a plan. And there are those who have the attitude, sure, let's just see what happens. Or if I can use a mother, nor slang term to describe such individuals, those people who just like to wing it. And if there's anybody here tonight and you identify with that second class of people, if you're somebody who just likes to see what happens, if you just like to wing it, then I want to tell you, I don't know how you do it. Because a small part of me would like to be the guy who does whatever feels right at that time, but I just don't think that's ever going to be me. You see, I'm definitely somebody who likes a plan. You don't believe me? Well, just ask my wife. I'm sure there are times when I drive her crazy because it doesn't matter whether it's three months, six months down the line, one of the first things I'll ask her is this well, what's the plan? What are we doing? Have you organized this? Have you organized that? And she's looking at me, of course, like, guy have two heads. She thinks I'm crazy, but I don't care because I need to know the plan. Probably should point out at this time, before we go any further, that she also likes a plan, but I'm probably on the more extreme side of things. But as I tell her, and I tell you tonight, at least I have insight. At least I know that's what I'm like. You see, what is one of the most important things when you're trying to plan an activity, particularly if you live where we live in Northern Ireland, you need to always have a backup plan. Because very often, it's weather, something else, that causes those plans to fail. And when something doesn't work out, that can be one of the most frustrating things. You see, you've spent a considerable amount of time and effort going into all the details, thinking about this, thinking about that. But there's always something that you never thought about, that wrecks that initial plan. It doesn't matter how hard you try to avoid those things. It's almost impossible. It's virtually impossible to have a perfect plan. We consider tonight the chapter that we've read together in Ephesians chapter 1, and we read here about another plan. It's the plan of salvation. And yet unlike those plans that I've just mentioned, other plans that always feel. When it comes to the plan here in Ephesians chapter 1, it is one that cannot fail. Why can it fail? It cannot fail because of the perfection that is found in the one who's made the plan. And you read through Ephesians chapter 1, these verses we've read, and you'll see very clearly this plan of salvation involves all three members of the Trinity. Verses 3 to 6, we have God the Father. He's the one who's appointed man's salvation. Verses 7 through to 12, you've got the Son, and He has accomplished man's salvation. And then in verses 13 to 14, there's the application of man's salvation through the Holy Spirit. And tonight it is the second of these three, the salvation that is found in God the Son that I want to consider with you in the martyrs. How has Christ accomplished our salvation? Well, look what it says in verse 7. That's going to be our text. It says, in whom we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And very simply, I want to consider this verse tonight with you. And I want to deal with it under the subject, a perfect salvation for a sinful people. It's a perfect salvation for a sinful people. And I have four very simple thoughts that I want to leave with you tonight from this verse. The first thing we're going to consider together is the outworking of this plan. And to see that outworking, look at how the verse begins. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. You see, of all the themes that we read about in the Word of God, there are none more important here than what is discussed in verse 7, because we have described by Paul God's wonderful work of redemption. And yet the theme of redemption is not something that we can confine simply to the book of Ephesians. You read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, and we find this theme throughout continually being unfolded. Why is this theme so important for us? It's important for the simple reason tonight that without redemption, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Without redemption, there can be no reconciliation. There can be no peace with God. And without redemption, there is absolutely no hope for anybody to be in God's heaven. And therefore, because of what I've just said, it's absolutely vital, is it not, that we understand exactly what that term means. You see, when Paul uses the word redemption here, It can mean a number of different things. The word redemption in verse 7, it can mean to liberate. It can mean to release. It can mean to deliver from bondage by the paying of a price or the paying of a ransom. And whenever you and I think about that idea of a ransom, very often our minds will go to something we've watched in the past, maybe. Maybe a news story you've read, maybe a crime novel that you've read. And in that novel, what happens is someone's been kidnapped, someone's been taken hostage by another person, and after a period of time, what happens is that kidnapper will ring up a loved one, and they'll demand a ransom. They'll demand payment in order for that person to be released. It's only whenever full payment has been made that that individual is returned and released and is safe. And the Bible is no different Because we find example after example particularly in the Old Testament of this idea of the paying of a ransom. You go back to the Old Testament and slavery was commonplace and in order for an individual to be released from their obligation to their master one of two things had to happen. They either had to be able to pay the price required for their freedom or they had to rely and depend upon somebody else to pay that price for them. And whenever we think about redemption in those terms, I think we see a wonderful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for those in their sin. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. If Paul's words, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6, he's speaking about Christ who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And in both of those verses, Matthew 20, 20, 28, 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, we have the same word ransom used in our English language. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6, we have a greater meaning. Not only is it speaking about deliverance here, but it has particular reference to the paying of a ransom in the place of another. And that little detail tonight, we shouldn't miss it. It's so important. Because in taking the place of another, we see that the ransom that Christ paid was different to any other. In paying this ransom, he acted as our substitute. In being man's substitute, Christ paid the penalty for man's sin on their behalf. And again, Paul, he describes that wonderful transaction in one of his letters. We think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And you may not realize it tonight, but if you're here or if you're listening in tonight and you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're in bondage to your sin. You're in slavery to your sin. Sin is your master. Sin has complete control and dominion over you. And again, that's what we find in the Bible. It's not me plucking this out of my own thoughts. It's what God's Word says. I think the night of what Christ said to those he spoke with in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8 and verse 34, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That word servant literally reads slave. Whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin. And yet unlike the example I gave just a moment ago, about a slave in the Old Testament being able to release himself from his captor when it comes to the issue of man's sin. None but Jesus Christ is able to redeem man or free man from the bondage of that sin. And the Bible tonight cannot be any clearer on the matter of a person's sin. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. You see, the sin which we are born with That sin which should have resulted in us going to hell for all eternity, and yet in God's mercy, he has provided a way in which that sin can be forgiven. It is this plan of redemption. Because God sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to be the sinner's substitute, to take the sinner's place, and to be the sinner's only redeemer. And that is vital to understand tonight. He is the only redeemer of God's elect. What is it that makes Christ qualified to be man's redeemer? Four very simple thoughts. He had to be willing to pay the ransom price. We've already seen that in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. He became a slave for us. He also had to be related to the one in need of redemption. In other words, Christ had to be both God and man. Galatians chapter four and verse four but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Also had to be sinless. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty two, speaking about Christ who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. But he also had to be able to pay the price. Not just willing to pay the price, but able to pay it. See, what was the ransom price for our redemption? You look at again at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 In whom we have redemption through his blood. Sinful man can be redeemed tonight by reason of Christ's blood. And again, I think we go back to the Old Testament to get help to understand this, what is meant with respect to the blood. Because in the Old Testament sacrificial system, what would have happened is the one looking to make atonement for their sin, they would have brought an animal into the temple, into the tabernacle. The priest would have proceeded to kill that animal, and he would sprinkle that blood upon the altar. But in reality tonight, not one sin could ever be atoned for by the blood of an animal. We're reminded of that in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. You see, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament, what they were doing is they were pointing to the one who would come into the world, this Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Bible tells us would shed his blood for the remission of our sin, the removal of sin. The reality for many tonight, and maybe what I'm about to say includes you, is this. Believe you can free yourself from sin without Christ. If I just do my best tonight, that's going to be enough, isn't it? If I just obey the law and if I'm a good person, and if I don't commit any of those big sins like murder, then I'll be okay. No big or small sins. All sin is an offense to God. All sin condemns. The Bible speaks about this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man cannot be justified by the works of the law, but is by faith in Jesus Christ. Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Is he no amount of good works tonight? no amount of good living, no amount of money, or no amount of whatever you are depending upon tonight will ever be sufficient to save your soul. It is only through Jesus Christ. It is only through what He has done through His precious blood that you and I could ever be in God's heaven. That is the outworking of the plan. But the second thing I want you to see here tonight in this verse in Ephesians is the outcome of this plan. Look at verse 7 again, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And he goes on to say the forgiveness of sins. You see, the result tonight or the outcome of Christ's redemptive work is this. It is the forgiveness of sins. And like that word redemption, we look at the word forgiveness and it can mean a number of different things. It can mean to send off or to release, but it also can mean to let go of something. And I want to ask you a question tonight, and I trust that it helps to even get a picture in your mind of this forgiveness have you ever said something to somebody in the heat of the moment and upon reflection you wish you could take it back and you go away from that thing oh i can't believe i did that can't believe i said that after a period of time after some reflection you go back to that person and you try to apologize you try to make amends and you'll say something like this do i'm sorry i didn't mean to say that And in essence, you're asking that person to forgive you. And if that individual is any sort of person, they will forgive you. They say, don't worry about it. What's said is said. What's done is done. The past is in the past. And I know you didn't mean it. But here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the forgiveness that is given, it is not something as trivial as the situation I've just described. It's speaking tonight about the forgiveness of sin. And sin tonight is something that God simply cannot overlook. Not something God can say, don't worry about it, it's okay. God's perfectly holy, he's perfectly just, and because of that, whenever he sees sin, and sin is the opposite of holiness, then he must punish that sin in accordance with his holiness. To do anything but that would cease to make him God. The fact that we've all sinned, and the fact we're all accountable for our own personal sin, it is our sin, it means that this punishment is justified. We deserve to be punished in accordance with God's justice. And yet, in His mercy, we receive something we do not deserve, which is forgiveness of sin and its peace with God. How does this forgiveness come about? It's through the shedding of His blood. Because Christ actually and literally took the sins of His people upon Himself, and He went to the cross. He carried them an infinite distance away so that they would never return. And again, I think we go back to the Old Testament, and I think we see a wonderful picture of that. If you want to turn with me tonight to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, and we'll read verse 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And then down to verse 7. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him And to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. These verses, we have two goats. And each of these two goats, they represent or they portray a different aspect of the one time sacrifice for sin that was made by Jesus Christ. Verse tells us that the first goat was killed, blood was shed. And that is all pointing to the effect that Christ's atoning work had upon God, the appeasing of his wrath turning away of God's wrath from sin. But what about then this second goat, this scapegoat? Well, upon the scapegoat, the sins of the people would have been led as that priest put his hand upon that animal. It was then led out into the wilderness, never to be seen again, never to return. And that signifies the removal of the guilt of sin. And in these two goats, we see exactly what Christ has done on the cross because he bore away the sins of his people by suffering the equivalent of hell upon that cross. Also, our sins will not be remembered. Never held against us. I think Isaiah puts that wonderfully in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. That word blotteth here, it literally means to wash something. It's to smear it away. It is to completely obliterate it. You go to the New Testament and you have the same idea seen in the book of Acts. Because in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, we have the same word blotteth used with respect to sin. It says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, you will note that there is a condition here with respect to a person's sins being blotted out, Call to the sinner to repent and to be converted. You see, simply having a knowledge of Christ's death and resurrection is not enough. Hearing the gospel is not enough. Being a child of believing parents is not enough. Being a free Presbyterian tonight is not enough. Being friends or surrounding yourselves with Christians is not enough. You could come to this church and you could put yourself in with the congregation. You could be friends with people, you could many friends here, but your friends will never save you. It's only repentance toward God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without those things, you'll never be saved. And the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offered tonight, I want to tell you it is a full forgiveness. Every sin, past, present, and future, it is covered under the blood. It's also a free forgiveness. It's for the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's also a final forgiveness. Because once your sins have been forgiven, they are forgiven forever. And what a comfort that ought to be tonight to the believer here. You and I, yes, we'll remember our sins. The devil will bring them before us time after time and he'll taunt us with those sins. We'll be grieved by what we've done, how we've let the Lord down. But God has forgiven them. He's forgotten about them. And therefore you will never be condemned because of your past sins. Third thing I want you to see tonight is the obligation regarding this plan. In other words, what was the basis for what we've heard this evening regarding this plan of redemption? Well, again, look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In other words, everything was done in accordance with God's grace. You see, before mankind was ever created, God had a plan in place, and we call that plan the covenant of grace. And in that plan, Christ covenanted, he promised, he made agreement with the Father that he was going to come into the world and he was going to take the sins of his people and he was going to go to the cross and pay the punishment for those sins. It's really what Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 1. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I think it's important tonight to note here that we're not chosen because of any foreseen goodness in us or the fact that we might choose Christ. It's not because when God was planning the work of redemption, he thought to himself, well, I'll save that person and I'll save this person because I know they'll accept the offer of the gospel. No, it is according to his grace. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, it's according to his good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, it's according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And what did mankind do to deserve such grace? Absolutely nothing. That's what grace is. It is unmerited favor toward those who are undeserving of the least of God's mercies. Because mankind, being dead in sins and trespasses, deserves nothing but hell and eternal punishment and yet because of grace, man can be saved. Man can be guaranteed eternal life in heaven. Not only according to grace, but it's according to the riches of his grace. That's what verse 7 says. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 calls it exceeding riches. And when Paul speaks about riches, he's not speaking about physical riches, physical wealth. He's speaking about spiritual abundance and spiritual prosperity. And when you apply that to what comes before here, the forgiveness of sins, and what Paul is saying is that God does not merely give us grace that barely covers our sins, it's abundant grace, it's sufficient grace. So what Paul goes on to say in Romans 5 and 20 where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We have the outworking of the plan, we have the outcome of the plan, we have the obligation regarding this plan, but very quickly there's one final thing I want you to see, and that is the objects of this plan. And we see that at the beginning of the verse, in whom we have redemption. And that Paul uses the word we here, it's a clear reference to a particular group of people. It is God's people. It is those who believe in Jesus Christ. It is those who trust in Him for salvation. And that thought of a particular people, it is something that runs right throughout the Bible. to give you two verses, Galatians three verse 13. It says, "Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us." And then in Revelation chapter five and verse nine, "For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood." In redemption, salvation, it is freely offered to all, but it is actually only ever bestowed upon those who repent and believe. And for those tonight who have repented of their sin, who have trusted in Christ, you are our partaker of this redemption in Christ. And it is something that you enjoy and will continue to enjoy every single day. Because that word have, it's in the present tense, it's a continual thing. And you can read the verse like that. It's in whom we are continually having redemption. It's in whom we have and are still having redemption. But that also can be your experience tonight if you're not saved. You can be redeemed. You can know the forgiveness of sin. You can know peace with God. And how can you know it tonight? It's going back to that verse in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. If you do that tonight with a sincere and a genuine heart, Realizing that you have sinned. Realizing that we all have sinned. Realizing that you cannot do anything to get rid of that sin. But understanding tonight that Jesus Christ can do something. He has done something. He has met every single need on the cross. Trusting wholly in him tonight for your salvation, the Bible says you will be saved. How can I be so certain about that tonight? Because God's word tells me. John chapter six and verse thirty-seven says, All the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What a promise that is tonight. A few hours' time. We're going to wave goodbye to 2023, and 2024 will begin. Maybe you already have your whole year planned out. You've booked your holidays. You're going to try and further your career. I'm going to try and buy a new house or a new car. I'm going to get married and going to start a family. No thoughts have been given regarding planning your eternal future. And I want to tell you tonight that is the only thing that really matters. Plans that you might have made for 2024, they might never happen. Why might they never happen? Because you're not guaranteed to see another day. That is something we're reminded by in the Word of God. Proverbs 27, verse 1. It says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And therefore, at the end of 2023, this final gospel message here, I would say to you, if you're not saved, do not leave tonight rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Because tonight might be your last opportunity to get saved you die tonight rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ I want to tell you there's no hope you cannot be saved the other side of eternity it's once to die and then the judgment that's what the word of God says why not end this year trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ with Christ there's forgiveness of sin with Christ there's peace with God no peace in this world but there's peace with God With Christ, there's eternal life in heaven. May God write that word upon your heart. If you're not saved, I trust that you will come to the Lord. You'll be saved tonight. and You'll know forgiveness of sin. You'll know peace with God because there's nothing better than it. Let's just have a word of prayer. We'll just commit ourselves to the Lord. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we just still ourselves now in thy presence. We come once again in our Savior's name. Lord, we think tonight of what we've heard. Lord, we are amazed, even in our finite minds. Lord, we cannot take it in, what you've done for sinful man. This wonderful plan of redemption, Lord. The the agonies of the cross, the shedding of thy blood for a people who have no love for thee. I thank thee, Lord, that you have loved your people with an everlasting love. We pray tonight, Lord, at the end of this year that if there be one, Lord, more than one, that know not they a Savior, that you would speak to their hearts, Lord. That they would realize, Lord, it's not a case of a man trying to make them feel bad about themselves, trying to convert them to a religion, but it's a man trying to see them saved make them realize that they need the Lord Jesus Christ before they leave this world we pray tonight Lord that even that you would write that word upon all of our hearts those of us who are saved Lord that we would even just see the white fields that are ready to harvest that we would take every opportunity Lord and we would not allow ourselves to be afraid Lord and you know what I mean by that but, Lord may we take our opportunities to Tell others of Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save. We pray tonight, Lord, as we separate one from the other, that you would even take us to your homes in safety. Those who will come back for the watch night service, Lord, I pray you will take them back here. Lord, there will be that time of fellowship, that time of thinking back in 2023. But Lord, if there is one tonight who is not saved, may they even think back, Lord, in the many times they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. I may they even heed that warning in Genesis that says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Lord, save souls, we pray up down this land for thy honour, for thy glory. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.